Hey, Billy, I'm wondering, have you been looking for a way to get better as a coach? Uh, always. That's good because you could do it by using GMS Plus. It's a great resource for courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Many of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmstead, Keegan Cook, John Spira, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson, have used it or are a part of it. They're also actually have been former guests, so you know they're good. Personally, I've learned a lot from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. So if you're looking to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. Get 20% off an annual subscription today. Go to goldmedalsquared.com backslash CYBO and enter CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter coupon code CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Yeah, I wanted to go into make them play and and maybe um maybe you can because you brought up this new concept more more recently that you hadn't talked about before is really really make them play, mm. uh, which is you know I guess maybe I can just quickly say make them play is just the ball goes to the other side, but really make them play is when we jump and swing right. Yeah. We got to attack the ball and. I know the goal, at least you've set for our college beach team, is the other side has to play defense about nine out of ten, and sounds like at the juniors level, eight out of ten. So you know we talk about it a lot. It seems like awareness is a great step. But what are some of? I mean, you talked about the red zone, but what are some of like, I guess, go to games or ways that you like to train it? Sometimes just the awareness is is surprisingly valuable. Just the awareness yeah. is surprisingly valuable, and you know this has been kind of one of these funny trends, John. You know when. Um, it seems like each year in the fall, hey, you send me some video, you know, I look over it, you know, and okay, look over some, some of the stats. And it's sometimes I can see the players that are newer to the LMU program versus the players that have been in that because a lot of times in the fall, they're higher error. And it's like, oh yeah, wow, actually making some more errors is not good. And then they kind of chop it over. That's been a kind of a major, I think things that uh, has been good for LMU at, at some of the at nationals is just being able to make the other team play at a high rate. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to win, but it certainly means you're not going to, lose it you know uh directly um and so one game i you know i posted this up on the sub stack i think that i really like for juniors volleyball is just make them play queens mm -hmm. so you just play queen of the court but it's um it's not an automatic wave after every point so typical typical sort of queen of the court king of the court you know one team serving the other team's receiving and you serve it in you play it out and whichever team wins gets to stay on the other team goes off so when you play make them make make them play queens you only go off when you do not make them play. So if the serving team misses the serve, they go off. If the other team makes a first ball error, so if they get aced or if they make a, a first ball error, and usually I do it with a three-point cap. So like if it, on the third serve, then that's normal sort of sudden death, king of the court, queen of the court rules. But, um, and it's when you start playing this, you know, and I've done these with, with club programs and, you know, the first, 20, 10 rallies, the first, whatever, you know, they're all zero or one point games, meaning like the first play was either a service error or an ace or a first ball error, or like maybe there was a second serve, but there's so many times where it's like not even anything. And then you kind of just bring it to the attention. So it was really, I mean, just the first episode actually just bringing it to the attention and then, um, okay, well, actually, yeah, we'll make a play, serve it in. And then to make them really play, um, it, what, what that is, I think coaches have some freedom to determine that, 
based on your level. So what you'll see is, okay, if you kind of have this make them play concept, okay, then servers are just going to really just serve the ball in. And at lots of levels of volleyball, that is what you want. You actually just, you want your servers to hit the ball in the court. That is good. Um, and that helps practice go well. You're not having all these misserves. So then your teams are getting chances to set the ball and hit the ball and dig the ball and all that. But then at a certain point, okay, we can't just pop them in. So now it's uh, you got now it's make them really play at queens. So then you get to say, okay, if the serve goes to zone six, you lose. That's the same as missing a serve. Serve goes to zone six, you lose. So you got to hit it to one or five. You can take that off, or the serve's got to be flat enough or something like that. Now you can't you can't make so many rules that then you're just back to like everybody loses every single time. So you know you got to kind of caution that. But like for a good high school team. I think I make them really play is you have to uh, jump and swing. Like if you send a free ball, you know, if you send a free ball over, okay, automatic loss. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, or you kind of have this blended. If you send a free ball over and the other team then gets a kill, then you lose. If you send the free ball over and then you are able to take it, okay, okay, good, yeah. okay, cool. Not automatic loss. So you can kind of have some of those. So to me, that's kind of the blending is you just start adding one or two things as appropriate for your level. So it can be from the serving perspective and then also from the offensive perspective. Like a 13 and another team, make them really play. A standing down ball might be fine. Like that's like that's okay. Like that's still pretty good for a lot of 13 or 14 and under teams that are still uh, more on the beginner end. Hey, just a standing down ball or even just setting it over to a good spot. I mean, that could be considered a decent attack for you. So that's where the coach can kind of use some judgment. So to me, the make them play concept is just that has a ton of value in just not giving the other team points, like just not being um, careless with the ball and both for winning the game, but also for the quality of our practice. So when you just look at juniors volleyball and find Billy, you know, you were just saying this um, and just, this kind of reminded me because I was talking to another coach recently and Hey, what's the most important stat for juniors volleyball? It's actually, and this is not just juniors volleyball. This is all volleyball. The most important stat is just volume, just number, because a lot of coach and who this coach we were talking about um, training middle attacking in the NCAA volleyball, and I said the first thing that you have to do is go on your volumetrics at practice and look how many attacks that your middle got, and it is not surprising to see it be like under ten in practice. Very common. Hey, you got under ten middle. That middle got under ten swings in practice. Yeah, then you're not surprised why your middle attacks no good, you know. So just kind of that volume. Um, so when I was at USA and, and every other team since then, like that was kind of a major job. Okay. Always saying to Carter, okay, how many passing reps did this player get? How many digging reps did this player get? You know, mm. just stuff like that as a base sort of quantity of volume. And one of the things that kills your training volume is too many errors in practice. So for kids, like they just kind of understand, like I also have a responsibility to my teammates. They can't get better if I'm wasting the ball. So right. there's situations I just needed to keep that in. So then they can get a chance to, even if it's a play volleyball, they can get a chance to play volleyball. And then I also get a chance to, hit, to play some defense. Right. Give your teammates a chance, give yourself a chance to block or dig a ball. What about the the other side of it? Um, I could see how like right now we're going to win more if we do this. And, and that makes sense too, from the development side. But I remember, um, I don't know, John Kessel would talk about how with like his son, Cody, he would just tell him to hit as hard as he could every time. It didn't matter how much he hit it out because it doesn't matter if you win at 14s. You know, it's going to help him develop. So do you think about balancing it? Is it like, you know, is every game make them play or is there times we're going to let them swing free and try to develop these new, you know, maybe what they need at the next level sorts of skills? I guess I'll try to say this in the most hot take way possible because that maybe makes for a fun podcast. Love it. Um, I encourage juniors, volleyball coaches 
I'll, again, I'll say this in the most hot thing way possible, uh, to uh, not care about development, to only care about winning. Um, and in a way that um, as many of your players contribute to winning as possible. So that would maybe be the only caveat. I actually think that this relentless focus on quote unquote development or quote unquote uh, kind of future prospect is actually a really negative thing in juniors volleyball. Because what it turns into is everything is about college scholarship, because that is the proxy for development. If you have developed, you're going to get a college scholarship. So first of all, one of the most important things that I think about sports is it is about more than me. It's about my contribution to a team. And uh, I, when I was growing up, I played sports and uh, I was good at some of them and I was not good at other ones. And that was something I had to learn, you know, and sometimes I, and I'm not trying to do this like kind of old time. Oh, you got to just do whatever the coach tells you. And if the coach tells you to sit the bench, blah, blah, blah. No, that's not what I'm saying is, but what I mean is like, um, I don't think club volleyball should be thought of as um, 12 kids doing individual lessons that happen to be on the court at the same time. I, I think it should be about people uh, working for the team because one of the good things, and if we kind of use this environmental um you know, if we kind of believe maybe this kind of environmental-based learning, constraints-based learning, that that is what things will show us. The things that contribute to me, the things for me as a player, if I contribute to my team winning, that that is my development. Like that's like that's the goal of a volleyball team is to win games. And, and when I say goal of a volleyball team to win games, I mean like uh, uh, not at the cost of cheating, not at the cost of, uh, you know, uh, unethical behavior, but like when you both teams walk out to play the game and more clear in beach volleyball, you're playing two on two. There's no subs. There's no considerations like that. There's usually not even a coach. So beach volleyball, the stuff is very clear. Okay. We're playing two on two. And my goal is, uh, my goal is to win the game. And, uh, also sometimes we do fun things at practice, like change the game in certain ways that then that, uh, uh, facilitate different behavior so we play on a higher net oh in order to win the game on a higher net i gotta hit some different shots oh that's cool that's a fun way to play um play on a lower net play with a different ball play with playing a smaller court play on a bigger court okay so we kind of use that environmental constraint as the idea that like it will encourage some different behaviors and uh that's what i like to to think of it as like okay you in my opinion you don't get to just hit a million balls out because that will have some sort of developmental uh, idea. Um, at the risk of arguing with John Kessel via podcast, I would be shocked if Cody was uh, an unsuccessful 14 year old, uh, uh, had, you know, a chance to, to watch him play a little as he came up and certainly in college. Um, I have no doubt that that is a good thing to be taught to go for it and to swing after the ball. Um, I don't see this necessarily trade-off between development and winning, because I think that good development means you're able to be successful that year and the next year. And one of the things about youth volleyball is that like at the beginning of your 14th year, you're like closer to your 13th year. And by the end of your 14th year, you're closer to a 15th year. So it's sort of like this idea of like, also what got you here won't get you there. So that's great. We formed our team. You're on this team for a reason and you have a certain amount of behaviors. Now, like just whatever our season ending tournament for some teams, it's going to be nationals for some teams. It's just whatever regionals or whatever team tournaments at the end of the year. Okay. By the end of the year, we have to be doing some different things. And if, if we want to have success, 
we would have to be doing some different things. And let's think about what those are and have a realistic concept of that. Because we can take this to the extreme and say that like every 12 and under player is, we have to run the same offense that the Olympic team is doing. And we know like that's not going to set us up for success. It's probably not even learning. If you look at a lot of players, the vast majority of players that play high school volleyball are not going to play college volleyball at all. They're not going to play division one volleyball and they're almost certainly not going to play professional volleyball. So I don't think that we should form our conception of development around what is going to maximize this player's chance of getting the prestigious division one scholarship that the coach, that the club can then put up on their website to show that they have developed players. And that's why I see a lot of that in, in club volleyball. Um, now, when I said the caveat is that I think that, um, hey, we want to, we should coach for winning caveat with the most involvement from all the players on the team. So one of the things that I think is like, can we have a winning team while distributing the playing time? So if you have three outside hitters on the team, eh, maybe it's not completely equal time, but can we win with all three of those players playing a, a big role? Can we win with both of the setters on our team playing a big role? Like, so that shows me that I'm teaching everybody. So that, that's, that is kind of how I, you know, maybe it's, you know, just, Oh, just winning. That's like, sounds like a lot of negative behaviors there, but if you think about, okay, could we win with all the players on our roster um, contributing in different ways? And then, you know, uh, to not argue with John Kessel to kind of back up one of the big things that he's always said is like, don't be your kid's last coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's a level of preparing them, but I don't think that a 14 and under we're preparing them for college volleyball. I think we're preparing them for 15 and under volleyball and to be contributors to a high school program. Cause then I think the kid, cause also, and I'm really going on a long rant. So just like stop me here. But one of the other things is uh, I think we should also let kids play the positions that they want to play. So sometimes this relentless focus on development is okay. Hey, now you, like nobody wants to play middle now because oh, I'm not big enough to play middle at division one college. Okay, there's lots of good experiences that you can have and teams that you can contribute to by playing middle. And I'm not saying that you have to play middle, but like we can't just be 15 under and focus, oh, what's going to maximize my recruitability? You, you know, because not just for the coach of that team and not just for the success of that team, but also I think for the success of that player and their satisfaction with volleyball. If you're 5'8 and you like to hit, you don't have to convert to libero. You don't have to be forced to convert to libero. Um, because that will maximize your some recruitability thing. I love the hot take. I hope we get another one. That was a, a well uh, rant worth hearing. And I think, yeah, just the idea of like, this is the season that matters. It's a, let's teach kids to be present and, and try to get people in general. I was curious, you talked about a couple different ways, awareness and different games and environmental constraints would make them play. I remember you talked about a game with a minus component, like a minus two, if you didn't make them play. What do you think about the, um, including minuses? Does that make people play scared or get, um, play with fear if, if they get a minus for hitting it out? Or is that another way just to bring awareness? Um, I, I think it can be okay. I think they're all tools. And, uh, you know, maybe some tools are more, you're going to go to that tool more often and some tools you're going to go to it less often but uh, yeah I think a minus could be a tool I think a bonus point can be a tool I think just awareness of the concept can be a tool 
is on Substack. I forget whether it's been released already or it's just in the queue to be released in the next couple of weeks. So activation serving, I think, is one that's in the queue. And that's just one where, okay, you kind of set a criteria. So for a men's team, it might be the spin serve's got to be over a certain volume. Um, it could be that the serve's got to be flat. It could be that the serve's got to be to a certain zone. And if you don't, if you don't hit it, shh, you blow the whistle, play dead, serve again. That stuff I think is really good. It has really immediate feedback. Um, and, and I I like some of that stuff that seems more negative, actually, because I think it's more objective. And I think what it does is then allows the coach to not have to have sort of quote unquote negative corrective feedback. So I like when my sort of negative feedback can be a very objective measure that like the ideal, I mean, like if you kind of relate to something like maybe track field or uh, like Olympic weightlifting or something like that, like you kind of have either a weight or a time and that's like great feedback because it's not the coach saying like, oh, you didn't run fast enough. It's just like, oh, like um, I was trying to do whatever intervals at a certain amount of time and okay, I didn't, I didn't get it. That either means like uh, there's something technically wrong that I need to change or maybe I'm too fatigued or whatever it is like that. But it's like, it's really like kind of clear feedback. And, and also then like, it's okay if the, the feedback is also shaping in a positive direction, but I think uh, what you just said is like, okay, is, is it making a player play with fear or something like that? Then to me, like that would be like, you used the wrong tool. So you gave them something that's maybe like too difficult and they don't have any feeling like they can get it or, um, you know, stuff like that. So I think like as a general rule, like the more confidence a player has, like the more challenge you can stack on them. You guys just had that recent uh, po- uh, challenge point podcast, which I think was awesome. You kind of talked about, Hey, we're looking at maybe like a 60 to 80% success ratio. And like, that's just a ballpark. Like you're not like necessarily dialing. Oh, the success rate has to be, was it, was Bernie saying, was, was Bernie the one that was saying? No, no, Andy. Andy, sorry. Yeah. Andy. Another pirate. Yeah. The other pirate. Uh, Andy was saying, uh, well, it's not that you like, if they get three successful ones, then you like just like bounce the next ball off the floor. So then you can <laughs> yeah. meet your 75% success criteria, but you're kind of trying to like get an overall ballpark. Um, you know, and uh, I think, so I think that if somebody's having 60, 80% success ratio, I doubt they're going to have like fear in it. If somebody's having 10% success ratio, then they're, they're probably going to have a lot of fear or just actually probably just disinterest, you know. Can you go into the game teaches the game post you had? And maybe I guess go through some of the differences between what works for you 13s and you 17s and kind of how the players learn. Yeah, I think um, that goes along with this concept of uh, what got you here won't get you there. I think the game certainly does teach the game, but it, um, the other thing that I would add is like uh, the other te- the other team is the best teacher. That's something that I've been kind of saying a lot, talking a lot. The other team is the best teacher, and sometimes the other team can teach you. I don't know. Uh, so I hesitate to say it teaches you the wrong thing, but it will teach you the thing that's right for the moment in front of you, and. Um, it, this goes along with the uh, destabilize a bad solution. So you can kind of get in these little valleys where maybe it feels like you're maximizing um, maximizing what you're best at right now. But if you could maybe destabilize or present some different solutions, maybe the players will be able to, to, oh, okay, I can see that this allows an opportunity for a different way of playing. And I use this concept. Uh, it was a pretty popular post I put up called Organization Mechanics Skill. And I referenced it a few times because this is sort of the criteria that I look at when I'm coaching or making some changes 
is kind of broadly these three classifications, organization, mechanics, and skill. And it's kind of a hierarchy. There's a blend between them, but it's kind of a hierarchy. Meaning um, what I'm most interested in as a coach is, is organizational change. Um, organizational change, that's sort of like a difference in kind. And the skill is difference in degree. And I think a lot of coaches, we, we gravitate right to the skill portion. We, let, we like to teach, we want to teach you to pass better. But a lot of times, and that's, that is part of it, but it is really hard to pass better. <laughs> it's really hard to hit the ball better. In fact, I challenged a lot of coaches, say you're coaching the NCAA where you probably have some sort of statistical track record. I challenge a lot of coaches to show me evidence that you have, that you teach your players to hit better. Meaning, and I don't say that like negatively, but I just mean like take your average players hitting efficiency as a freshman and then the average four-year progression of their hitting efficiency. I would be shocked if many programs players gained on average 50 points in their hitting efficiency because it's hard to get better. It is just, it is hard to get better. Um, so the skill stuff is hard. It's really important, but it's hard and it's slow. Organizational changes, changes in kind are quick, meaning uh, stand here on defense, not there. Um, set the ball at this tempo, not at that tempo. Like those are like uh, try a jump float instead of a standing serve. Like those are kind of, those are what I mean by changes in kind. And those can often have um, quicker changes. So those are our most, and those are also, um, you know, uh, uh, what are they called? It's not tragedy of the commons. It's not what I'm looking Why can I not think of this term? This is like super frustrating for me. Basically, like collective, sorry, collective action problems. Okay, so this is kind of like, uh, I don't know, uh, hey, it's, uh, it's, it's voting day here in the United States. So like one of the main roles of government is, right, is to solve collective action problems, right? Like we kind of all agree that like, uh, it'd be nice if we didn't have like super polluted cities, but like if it's just up to the people owning the factories, um, uh, it's, it can be solved at that much of a level. It's sort of like collectively, let's all agree to like not pollute too much. And then that way, like nobody is incentivized to be the only one breaking uh, the rules are something like that. We kind of all agree on some collective action. So that's one of the biggest things for a coach, I think, is to be sort of a collective action um, a decider or like that's what team systems are. So it's like, yeah, the players could sort of spontaneously come to their own decisions about uh, what tempo they want to run. Like, like and I don't, I don't mean that like they could, but there's no chance of it. Like that will happen, like for sure. Players do that. Um, but as a coach, one of the things that you can do is help like facilitate that process and have like a good guiding post. You can just say like, Hey, we have a pretty good idea that, um, at the NCAA women's level, like, a uh, an outside go set that goes from the setter's hands to the hitter's hands in about like one second, like that tends to be pretty good. Um, there's not like super huge rewards for going faster. Like some teams can go a little faster than that. Like that's pretty good. That tends to be about a second step tempo, maybe a little faster, maybe a little slower. Like you can kind of get the team in the ballpark of that. Like that's the organizational thing. Mm-hmm. And then the players and in my opinion, then the skill stuff is sort of on the player. Like, and this is all the stuff that we talk about. Uh, you, you talk about on, on your podcast here about um, how learning actually works and um, the, you know, uh, implicit versus explicit. So I think we can use the explicit stuff to get them sort of in the ballpark and then set up good drills that will then allow the implicit learning to take place. But I think that there's a lot of things where we, we know, we know where the boundaries are. Like, there's going to be very few women's volleyball teams that are successful in system relying on like super high sets to the outside, like just total boom balls. 
And then also like, if you're trying to run a fourth step to the outside, there's like very few people that are going to be successful. So it's like, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's narrow the band from like a four second differential when that set gets for the center to hitter to like a quarter of a second or a half second. Not that you have to time sets. I'm just using that to, just for illustrative purposes. Um, so, okay. You can get the team in the ballpark and then you might encourage the players. Hey, on this set, like roll in on a soft two on this one, be on a hard two on this one. Okay. Kind of find that Goldilocks zone where it really fits, um, you know, uh, things like that defensively people have to kind of come to some conclusion about when the ball goes here, who's going to stand there to get that ball. And when they, they tip it, like how are we going to coordinate tip coverage? And as a coach, we decide how much of that we want to dictate and how much of that, we want the players to work out for themselves. Like those are the real, and those are actually really important. Like as a coach, we, we cannot and should not define all of that stuff, but we should also define some of it because then that allows the player's energy to focus on some of the things that only they can work out between themselves. Right. So if I was to summarize, it sounds like for like tactics for, I think you use organization or like systems, you can, lean on explicit instruction more where when it comes to the skill base like you know if you're hitting a jump float your elbow here or this step there that's where allow for more self-organization more opportunities for them to discover what's best for their specific constraints yeah yeah totally I, i mean i think and one of the reasons why i say coaches to focus more on the organizational end more on the tactical end is is actually because i think the the other alternative is like, I'm really skills oriented. And then a lot of times we see it's like this overly explicit skill, internal coaching that we know, or at least we think we know is not as helpful for skill development. So it's like actually on the sort of tactical or positioning end and less prescriptive on the skill end. Mm. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of funny. I feel like I've, kind of in many ways gone in a, not in a circle, but like kind of an evolution of knowledge is like, I used to like, maybe when you first started coaching, it's like, come on, hit it hard. <laughs> you know, get up and hit it hard. And then you start like giving all these like, well, get your elbow back and do this and do this. Yeah. And then like, you get to a point where it's like, okay, hit it hard. Hit it hard. <laughs> and you figure out how to, no, yeah. but then what I, what I love to do with like a lot of hitting stuff is I actually like a lot of like hitting to uh prescribed targets or zones on the court like that just as a basic constraint okay so it's like um okay we'll tape off uh, for indoor volleyball okay what we'll tape off the last um 10 foot by 10 foot in the zone five corner for example so that's where you have to hit the ball and but what we're going to do is give you like four different sets so like okay we'll we'll set it a little tight we'll set it a little off we'll set it a little inside and you got to figure out how to get the ball there or okay we're going to put the ball in the deep corner and okay experiment with what relationship to the ball Okay. It doesn't help you to be a little more under the ball. It just helps you to be a little more behind the ball. Okay. So like, to me, like that's, it's, it's not by the book definition, it's not quite the that differential learning, but it's maybe kind of of that idea of allowing kind of setting some boundaries and then allowing the player to work towards um, how to meet that prescription in some different ways. I'm curious. We, I think we both came across motor learning in a similar way through you know, understanding through Carl McGowan and more of the informational processing approach. And I think now we've been more exposed to another way of thinking. Where have you, where do you fall now? Do you see it as a dichotomy? Like, do you lean one direction or how, how do you think about motor learning now? 
I think um, I think it from two ways. I really enjoy exploring the theories and and going through all that stuff. And then I I try to be careful not to try to impose a theoretical approach on the actual coaching, but to try to make sure I'm going from practical matters, meaning like um, if I have a method of coaching that I've seen results from, I don't want to try to square that to the theory. I want to try to square the theory to that. Um, so like um, I know that with certain players, like, okay, saying like, keep your arm straight while you pass, like will help you. And like, I don't really understand it. Maybe there's a better way and something like that. But like, there's a certain class of player, not all players, not all the time, but there's a certain class of players that you need to say, Hey, keep start with your arms down when you pass this next ball uh, and stuff like that. And then I can work towards them uh, or like, okay, I've written on the, on the subset kind of about this Goldilocks method. That's a very, it's not quite a differential method, but it's basically like, um, you know, it's like, you know, too hot, too cold, just right. So like something with like setting on the Goldilocks zone. Okay. Like, um, Hey, like, uh, on, well, you'll do a three rep sequence on the first one, like really set it from a contact point. That's low, like almost down by your chin. And then on the next one, like set it from a contact point that feels like way too high, like really extended. And on the third one, don't even just think about making a good set and just let your hand, let, let it go where you want. And then do a few rounds of that. Um, so that's, um, a less prescriptive, that's more of a experimental approach. And then we have some of these other methods that we like, um, such as um, court constraints. Okay, we, we tape off one part of the court, make it out of bounds. We put the net higher, we put the net lower, make the court smaller, make the court bigger. Okay, and we know that those methods work. And so I think we should really work uh, relentlessly to explore the theories to help shed light on some of this stuff. But in, in my opinion, we want to work it from, okay, I'm pretty confident that this works because I'm seeing it change behavior in players. So that's, that's the important, do, do we, do we see behavior change? And then I kind of want to figure out where and how and, and why from there. Yeah. It reminded me, I was going to bring it up earlier, but in your recent blog on, on youth coaching, you talked about universal principles and, and that idea of like, you know, having, I think actually the first time we had you on the podcast, that was the topic we talked a lot about principles and having coaching principles. And Billy brought this up to me recently, like, I think I had some principles I felt like um, very solid in. And then as I've been exposed to new ideas, it's made me maybe kind of question them. So it's like, are they universal? You know, I don't know, something like simple versus, you know, simple is better than complex. Um, maybe it's not talking about differential learning, but it seems like differential learning. It's like we're adding a lot of complexity uh, and that's, you know, helping us learn. Maybe that's construing ideas, but, but I don't know, I guess my general point and, um, and I don't know if Billy, you want to add on, that was kind of a, an idea you had brought up to me. Um, is that what you were, Billy, what you were kind of hitting on? Yeah, no, I have nothing else to say on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Jeff? Well, I think, I think what you said there is a perfect case study. I think that like, uh, simple. So every, I don't know, it's like what it, it's kind of almost like this yin and yang principle, right? Like every weakness contains its strength. Every strength contains its weakness. Um, and every, I think every principle also kind of contains its dichotomy because, Simple is better than complex unless you're too simple. So, and again, if we kind of reference Carl, and that is obviously like one of my first like really huge mentors after, after, you know, my parents and sister, um, you know, Carl's like this first outside mentor that I had in volleyball and he would teach blocking. He taught swing blocking and he would say swing blocking is more 
complex than static blocking, but here's why it's worth it. So to me, that's, that is respecting the principle. And it's funny, actually, you mentioned differential learning. I, I actually, you could almost, and this is why going down the theory rabbit hole, like we have to just kind of keep rude because, okay, differential learning in one sense, it is more complicated, but in another sense, the whole reason why you do it and why you do like these boundary testing or why you purposely inject variability is to find like the core, uh, again, I'm getting my, my friends, Bashi, what is it to find the attractors? Yeah. The attractor. Yeah. So like, okay, I'm going to have you do it a few different ways because what you're going to do is like, okay, this variability didn't really matter because, but this core tenant, uh, the player is going to see the the true signal by adding a little more noise into the system. It actually helps them find the, the true signal. Um, so I don't know, is that more simple? Is it more complex? Uh, I don't know, but I know for sure a common principle of successful organization, successful leaders in all fields is that they're able to simplify things. So I'm going to stick with simple as complex, but I'm also not going to take it to the extreme. Mm. Yeah. So having a, yeah, I guess being flexible, it sounds like is a, is a you know, principle when it comes to principles. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, I think it's an interesting conversation and, and fun to reflect on, kind of, I guess a little bit of the things I was so sure of and realizing, um, yeah, that I, I've got to keep evolving and considering and questioning.